0: or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.
1: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film,
0: If If. Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news...
2: Welcome to Squanderlust, the podcast about the emotional side of money, why our actions aren't always as good as our intentions, and what we can do about it. I'm Martha Lawton, and I'm your host. Today on Squanderlust, I'm going to be talking to another wonderful guest. In the studio with me is the lovely Patrick Hill, who describes his work as coaching people in and through the harder times of life. Before we begin, I need to ask a small favour. This is an independent podcast. We don't have a big-name backer to pay for lots of advertising or expensive PR – We rely on word of mouth from our listeners to grow, so if you like the show and you want us to keep making it, we need your help. Please share your favourite episode on social media and tell your followers where you like it. If you're on Twitter or Instagram, tag us in at squandlustpod. The more people who listen, the more we can keep growing and keep making the content you enjoy.
1: So, let's get going. Patrick, hello. Welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you doing? Yeah, pretty good. Great to have you with us. And Lovely to be here on this miserable grey London day, but it's shining here in the studio. It is, isn't it? It's always cosy here. Um, So introduce yourself to our listeners. Tell us all a bit about what you do. So I trained as a coach about three years ago. And when I started off, I was an in-house coach at a school I was teaching at. And then I left my teaching career as such, it kind of died on me, really, if I'm totally honest. <laughs> um, and then I had a period, I was saying to you, where I needed to take care of my mother when she was dying from motor neurone disease. And when I came to leave New Zealand and come back to London, I was really clear that my teaching career, as such, was dead. Mm -hmm. kind of died with mum. She took it with her, which I'm actually really grateful for now. Um, And I I realised and got really clear about what it was I wanted to do with my coaching. And very, very quickly it became clear that my best work and the work that I love to do is working with people in the harder times of life, whether Mm -hmm. it's right in the middle of it or some time after it. Um, Yeah, I, I coach people to help them think about where they're at um with ways to move forward, I think the thing that's slightly different with how I coach people is I really work hard with them to get to their emotional thinking around whatever's going on because essentially the brain is emotional and everything that we do and think and say uh, runs through the, the brain's emotional filter first. So, yeah, that's kind of a bit of a long-winded explanation really.
2: Yeah, but it's a, but it's a good one. It gives our our listeners a, a clear idea of of what you're about and what your approach is, which is great. Um, so obviously, when people are going through a harder time, um, a part of that is is grief, and mm. what we were going to talk about today. Um, is the grief that people experience when they lose a job, which you've just talked about, you know, leaving teaching behind and, and a mm. job that, that, that was there. Mm. Um, and although you say, you know, actually that was for the best and you're quite grateful for it, it was still something that was a loss. And I've I've been through situations where... I've left a job behind um, or a job has left me behind.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yep, I've had those too. <laughs> Um
2: And its it can be quite shocking. Um, and there is a period of of transition and of having mm. to grieve. So um, let's start with that. So mm. why do people need to grieve the loss of a job?
1: Well, grief's a really beautiful process. And I don't think we really understand it very well because we're not taught about it. But... Grieving the loss of a job. Uh, And I mean, I can talk about my career ending, which Mm. relates directly to it, because I wasn't anticipating leaving my teaching career. Right. I thought I would just get back into, go back into my teaching career, coaching in-house and coaching privately like I had been, you know, when I started my training. Um, And what I felt was an enormous sense of loss um, and grief around it, even though... I had resigned from that job so that I could take care of my mom. I felt, uh, I felt lost. I, I felt like, a, you know, I'd been a teacher for over twenty years, and I had this teacher identity, and it's what I did, and my days were really structured and organised. And then all of a sudden, nothing.
2: Yeah, I think there's there's a couple of the key sort of things in there, aren't there? There's um, that identity. Mm. um people really do identify with their jobs and um it's the thing that that uh people ask you first about yourself a lot of the time Mm. what do you do Mm. um if you don't have a good answer to that it it can be really uh disconcerting for for yourself and and if you don't have an answer to that for yourself that can also be disconcerting
1: yeah it's one of my least favorite questions because it's so utterly boring so one (laughs) of the things that I did years and years ago is because that question comes up every time I was like I just kept making new things up and at one point I was a crowd estimator (laughs) just because it's so much more interesting than any other answer and then on the way here today I was thinking oh I wonder if we'll talk about that and you have and then I was like actually today I am a giraffe breeder amazing amazing (laughs) amazing
2: Um, yeah, I love that. I love that. Uh, my jobs for a really long time, because I do uh, a lot for a lot of time, I've been doing very specific things in the charity sector that aren't, um, I guess the job titles that you tell children, like Mm -hmm. teacher is a job Mm. title that children know, right? Like, like fireman or astronaut, Mm. ballet dancer. Mm. Um, but all of the things that I do have always been kind of quite specialist um, mm-hmm. certainly for the last uh, 10, 15 years, they've been really quite specialist. And and so people ask what I do, and they then have to listen to a 10-minute explanation, which nobody wants. I don't want to give it. They don't want to hear it. So you're
1: right. Um, giraffe breeder is a much, much better solution. I really solution. liked that one today. I was quite impressed with it myself. <laughs> I don't know if there is such a thing or if, in fact, it makes any money. But I really like the idea of it because, also, it's a better conversation starter because, mm. you know, you're meeting people all the time. It's like, oh, I don't really care that you're an accountant. You don't care that I was a teacher. Yeah, you know. Yeah, 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 and then yeah, sometimes yeah. I say, "Oh, I don't really know what I do. How about you pay me for a session and you can tell me?" <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. So so um going back to going back on topics, like loss of identity yeah. becomes really really challenging and I think um we, it's because we do over-identify
1: with our work. We do, but we're also taught to and and oh, that's yeah. that's one of the things that happens when there's a bereavement. It's so significant when you uh, lose a partner. I mean, losing your parents is painful. I don't want to minimize that. But when you lose a partner or a child, mm. it shifts your identity with such a force and magnitude. Mm. It's similar to losing the job because you are, a, a, you know, you're married, you're a wife or a husband or a partner, and then all of a sudden you are single. Mm. And that is life shattering and the job is another form of relationship and we do invest a lot of ourselves in our work whether we like the job or not still a lot of investment there's all the relationships there which Mm. you know come to the social bit in a while but your identity we 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 attach ourselves to jobs um that are essentially jobs yeah and it's not all of you yeah i think that's the first thing that i discovered it's like oh, God, I'm so much more than a teacher. Yes. You know, yes. I am not just that. I'm actually – we are all really complex, wonderful beings. We are all whole all the time. Yeah. And our job is sometimes a part of that. But even when you aren't in employment, you've lost your job or you've been made redundant for whatever reason, you are still whole and complete as you are.
2: Yeah, and I think the, the one of the things that happens is you – you question the value of what you were doing. If it could go away, does that mean it wasn't valuable?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, which is untrue, obviously. Um, you know, it it, it is simply, it, you know, it, it's temporarily not happening. But that doesn't mean that it didn't have value while you were doing it. And it doesn't mean that you won't be doing valuable things in the future?
1: No, and I think the the human mind is not very clever in lots of ways because when things are going really, really well, we assume it's going to go really, really well forever. When things are really bad or not comfortable, we assume that's going to be forever as well. And the only truth about anything that we do as humans is everything is up for change. Everything shifts, everything comes and goes, including money, including jobs, including health, including relationships. So I think we can do some work in ourselves around change and knowing the whole time everything is uncertain, but don't give yourself, you know, sleepless nights and anxiety, focusing on the uncertainty.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, that that's that's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. Um, it's interesting as well that because um, we, I'm, I'm trying to, we're we're all saying so many interesting things. Um, that I keep on thinking. Oh, we need to pick this up. We need to pick that up. I mean, you're just getting into. We could go on, on a whole kind of uh, Zen Buddhist kind of impermanence conversation. <laughs> but I, if we go down that route, we'll we'll be here all day. Um, but I wanted to to sort of backpedal a little bit and say that with the identity thing, also comes a level of um, status. In uh-huh. our society, I mean, you were you were saying we're told to identify mm-hmm. with our jobs, and that's uh, not just about, you know, you're told to identify with being a quote unquote productive member of society, but there's also a status around being in work or being in particular types of work, and there's a conversely a stigma around. Not being in work at a particular moment, so
1: that's oh, ha- having to
2: handle that as well. Absolutely,
1: I remember feeling so ashamed and embarrassed. Not with the change of career recently, but uh, about eight years ago, I lost a job, and I was so embarrassed to tell people. Mm. I, 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 literally, I couldn't tell, I couldn't talk about it because I was there was shame, there was fear, the loss of status. I was on a really, really good salary, mm-hmm. um, and. You know, people tend to know roughly what you're earning just by how you're living, and all of a sudden, zero, yeah. and uh, the you know the rug's pulled from under me. It's like, okay, so who who am I? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, well, who do you think I am? Yeah. Yeah. But who do I think I am, and who do I think you think I am? Oh yeah. yeah. And you get I, I got into this thing it was like, okay, yeah, take a breath. Yeah. You know?
2: Yeah, yeah. Oh, and you want to. Um, uh, there's a there's a tension between you know knowing that you need to live within your means and then wanting to um, not lose status, but then you realise, did I even have the status I thought I had? It, there's you can tie yourself up in knots around this so many different ways, mm. and it is an argument for honestly for living. Um, a, a simpler life, even in better times, mm-hmm. because then you don't have the same fall, potential fall in status right. if there is a, um,
1: a, a drop in your income. Mm. Well, well, I think the thing that kind of I come back to, I said just before about that thing around change is mm-hmm. everything's constantly changing. Yeah. We love absolutes as humans. We love things to have a, an idea of permanence, but the, the reality is none of it is. Nothing, mm. nothing that you can see, feel, or touch around you right now is permanent. It's all in a state of change and deterioration. So if we accept that, the status thing, just knowing, like money, mm. it comes and goes, but also status is not about you. Yes. Status is about other people's perceptions Absolutely, of you. Absolutely, yes. And if you want to guarantee losing yourself, focus on what other people think of you.
2: Yes, yes, yes. Completely agree. I was thinking about this on the on the way in, and there's a a fun story about a person who gets given like a a knighthood or something like that, and they mm. go to a formal dinner and. The hostess has put them in the wrong place at the wrong point on the dining table for the fact that they've just been given a knighthood. right? And so they say, oh, no, excuse me, I've been given this knighthood and I need to be moved. And um, the hostess says, oh, all right, and, and moves them up the table mm-hmm. into their new status spot. And as they're going up, the, the person who's just been given the knighthood is rather patronizingly, well, of course, you know, these things are, you must find these things very difficult um, getting everybody in the right place for these sort of things is is so complicated, and the hostess says, uh, mm, "Not not really, because what I tend to find is that the people who matter don't mind, and the people
1: who mind don't matter." Right? Yeah, yeah. I that reminds me of I was a, a deputy head at a school in Central London, and. Um, you know, full-on job as mm-hmm. schools are. And anyway, I uh, I was in charge that day. The, the head teacher was out. I don't know where what was going on, and um, I was in the front office just doing stuff. And someone came in uh, looking for the head teacher, and, and I said, "Oh no, she's not here today." And they said to me, "Are you the caretaker?" Oh, <laughs> and I was thrilled because it's my sort of humour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I yeah, said. Yeah. I'm whatever you want me to be. Uh-huh. Because, you know, like the caretaker being the lowest of mm. the low, and I was like, oh, okay, so we aren't, e- we, we aren't all equals here. Yeah, yeah, And I yeah, think that's, yeah, yeah. that's a big part of um, working with the brain mm. is it regardless of how much money you're earning, what perceived status you have of yourself or others do, mm. the job you do, where you live, la, la, la. We are born. And die equal. The bits between the, you know, those two places, it's like, well, how well did you live? Mm. Not how much yeah. did you earn? What, what was your, your, your position? Yeah. You know, I mean, if you want to call me a giraffe breeder, I'd be really rapt or a caretaker. Yeah. I don't care because the truth is it's not about the labels. It's about what are you doing within yes. your life that yes. brings you joy and happiness. Yeah.
2: And I think that's, that's the thing is, is that. Um, wrapping back to this idea of of what happens when you lose your job, you need to start making choices about your time because that's the other thing that you mentioned uh, a little bit earlier. Along with the loss of identity, there's also a loss of routine. Mm-hmm. So you suddenly have all this time to fill. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know if you
1: have thoughts on on that. I well, I really do because my whole my whole career as a teacher, my time was allotted. You know, I still, as an automaton, wake up at the same time each day as I used to as a teacher. I have the same breakfast. I even know at 10.30 that that's when I should be having a cup of tea or a break. I still, (laughs) you know, my whole rhythm is built around, you know, 20 plus years of teaching. But Mm. allocating your time when you have lost a job for whatever reason, is really, really important. And one of, the, one of the helpful things on my helpful list yeah. uh, is about creating a routine that works for you. Yeah. And, you know, there are obviously helpful and unhelpful things, but having a routine where you wake up at the same time, you have the same morning routine, whether you're a breakfast person or not, so that you've got the basics. You're starting the day with self-care. Yeah. Because it's really, really easy to not have an alarm to stay in bed. And then before you know it, it's 11am and you're not feeling that great about yourself. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, self care is important, but too much sleep is going to work against you.
2: Yeah, I think I think good sleep hygiene is so important for, for mental health generally. Oh, yeah. Um, and it can be one of the things that really goes out the window when you don't have a job to, to cause you to um, wake up and therefore to cause you to go to bed yep. at uh At a good
1: hour, so and that's exactly what happens with people who've been bereaved. Mm. The the grief process, regardless of the trigger, has lots of the same behaviours and responses that occur. So, yeah, sleep is really important. Another helpful thing around uh, that is being able to reframe what's happened, so that you. Well, I needed to reframe um, my end of my teaching career it wasn't a thing that was done to me mm. it was a choice that that change was a choice i chose to look after mum which led to the career ending yeah yeah um and actually i reframed that whole time even though it was very hard as a really beautiful opportunity that i would only get to do once and i did it with grace and dignity and mum died really well having lived and been loved and safe right up until the day before she died with yeah. you know no pain we were just lucky but reframing a uh, job loss is also an opportunity yeah and i've said before on different podcasts i've done it's like one of my greatest things that I took from the job that ended eight years ago was I didn't have to see that bloody boss every. <laughs> so finding the light and the humor in the mm. hard, dark times is really important. I, I mean, I laugh at inappropriate things, as you know, but mm. finding <laughs> things that bring you joy yeah. in the hard times is yeah. part of the self-care routine and using your time.
2: Yes. Yeah, I, I was I was thinking about this a little bit on again on my way in because we we had a really good conversation to pre- prepare for what we were going to talk about today, and, mm-hmm. and it's um, sparked all sorts of thoughts in in me before I I was coming in this morning. But I was thinking about how um, we get confused between emotions, thoughts, and attention. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things that people do when they are grieving or, or struggling with difficult hard times, difficult emotions, um, is they get tangled up between those three things. And sometimes people, you know, don't want to feel those those difficult feelings and don't want to feel those hard feelings. And particularly in the UK, um, where we're quite, uh, we like to suppress you know, anything that might emotionally make us feel vulnerable um, and you're only allowed to be cheerful or angry um, or and barely even angry sometimes. Mm. So, you know, you're not allowed to, to feel the sad, the real sadness a lot of the time. And, and because people want to push away these negative emotions and um, they can end up labelling certain emotions as something I'm not allowed to feel. Oh. And thought certain thoughts as, oh, that's a negative thought. I shouldn't think that. Yeah. And when you're pushing those things down all the time, it's so damaging. Mm -hmm. Those thoughts and feelings don't go away. You have to still feel them. Um, And I was thinking about how you can allow yourself to feel the real feelings. And you can allow yourself to think the real thoughts that you think. Because you don't really have any control over your actual thoughts. They pop up. They are what they are. But what you can control is your attention. Mm. Absolutely. Um so uh, people berate themselves for feeling the wrong feelings or thinking the wrong thoughts and there's no such thing as the wrong feelings and the wrong thoughts mm-hmm. but how much attention you pay to which feelings and which thoughts and and whether you you know you can let yourself feel all the all the horrible feelings that you're feeling the 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 bitterness and the the anger at things being unfair you know how dare covid appear out of nowhere and take my job mm-hmm. Um, how dare the government not, you know, provide me with or provide our industry with the support it needs or provide me with the income I need. Um, You know, whatever feelings you might have or how dare my partner not be more supportive. You know, Mm. there's all sorts of things, thoughts and feelings that you might have that you might feel really uncomfortable with. You can think those things and, and feel the feelings that you have around them, whether you're happy about feeling them or not. But then you can also choose to To pay attention to things that will make you feel better.
1: Yeah, where you put your focus is really important. One of the things you said, Martha, was um, the horrible feelings was mm. a phrase you used. The truth is there's no horrible feelings. <laughs> they're just feelings. And what we have been taught to do is not feel. Mm. And what that's given us is the capacity to judge and label feelings as horrible mm. or You know, they may be uncomfortable, but they're not horrible. Yeah. And we we demonize sadness and fear and shame when the reality is whatever you do not feel, you will not heal. So a lot of the time with clients, I'll be saying, what does that feel like? Because until you can label and accurately feel, not, not necessarily label and name it, but feel the feelings, whatever they are, however uncomfortable they may be, they own you. And if you don't feel, you don't heal. So I encourage people, when you've gone through a job loss, allow yourself to feel sad or hurt or rejected or angry. They are normal, healthy feelings. But you also get to choose where you focus. So staying in the anger and the resentment and the rage is quite possibly not going to serve you very well if you spend all day, every day there. It'll probably make you quite ill. But you can choose to direct your thinking. And while we don't necessarily have control over our thoughts, we can direct the attention of our thinking as well, which we do have control over. And a lot of the work I do with clients is actually helping them direct their thinking towards where they actually want to be going rather than staying in the past. Where are you now and where is it you want to go? Okay, let's go there together.
2: Yeah, I think that's so important because if you um if you if you're feeling all the feelings and of anger and resentment and um upset and hurt and rejection and shame and, and so on um and you pe- keep your attention on things that feed those feelings mm. So you're reading the news a lot and reading about other people being jobless, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. Um, and that makes you feel more helpless and more resentful. You know, that's that's the choice of where you're putting your attention. The feelings about your own job loss are your feelings and completely valid and, and fine. Um, your thoughts around what you're going to do um, or what's happened to you are your thoughts. And again, they arise in your brain. Um, with more or less control from you, probably not that much, but your attention on on the news or, or wherever, that's where you have your control. Yeah. Um, and if you put your attention onto something that's, um, you know, on, on learning a new skill, mm-hmm. for example, or on um, finding a volunteer opportunity so that you can spend your time doing something constructive. Absolutely, yeah. You know, you, you, that's putting your attention somewhere else.
1: Yeah. The other thing that you touched on there with the possibly volunteering or doing something is that uh, makes people connect. Mm. Connection is the number one thing that determines our healthy living. Okay. Whether it's with partner or friends or work colleagues or whatever, connection is number one. In maintaining really good health and longevity, so being social is on my helpful list. Mm. Even if you don't want to be very social, and I, I'm I'm not a social person. Okay, <laughs> this is about as social as I get. Locked in a room, talking to a stranger in another room. So, well, you're not a stranger anymore. But it, uh. b- being putting yourself with people who you feel safe with, yeah, where you feel you can take small risks if you're feeling particularly vulnerable or emotional as you're grieving a job loss or any sort of loss. Um, it's really important because the talking and the doing is also a part of the processing of what's going on for you. It doesn't have to be sitting there thinking and feeling about the grief and the loss only. Mm. The subconscious is constantly working without your help. And it is processing everything that's going on in you as a regular day occurs. So just being and doing something
0: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash achieve today.
2: Yeah, that's that's I think really important. Um that's fantastic. Let's let's go into your unhelpful list first and we'll finish off with your helpful <laughs> okay. with your
1: helpful list. Okay, well, my, well here's something on my, this, this one's on both the helpful and unhelpful Ooh. So, um, you know that lovely old uh, phrase um, no news is good news. Yes You touched on it before with you know, focusing on joblessness. I have literally found out, I've done some research for the last 22 years, I have not read a newspaper or watched the news in 22 years. Ooh. No news is literally good news (laughs) because I am not feeding myself the mainstream media of negativity and repeated negativity, the same message 45,000 times a day. I know what the weather's going to be like by looking out the window. (laughs) If there's any major emergency these days, they send you a text message about it. So a helpful thing for me when I was going through all sorts of difficult times, but particularly the job stuff, um, was I focused on me, my health, and my internal wealth. And I was very, very selective about what I let in. Yeah. Not only does that include the media, it includes people. Mm-hmm. Because some people are just really taxing and you just want to run away from them. <laughs> so being really selective about who you allow in and what you allow in, just as the food you put into your body – the messages, the media, the mm. people you're spending time with, um, that can be unhelpful. But on the flip side, it can be very helpful by being very conscious about what is useful for you right now.
2: Yeah, yeah so not frightening yourself with, or upsetting yourself with too many um, stories of, of other people's pain, particularly where it's a story of other people's pain that you couldn't uh, help solve no. in some way.
1: No, and I'm not saying don't watch the news or read newspapers at all. That works for me. But find your harmony Mm. and what works for you to the the point where it's actually beneficial. Yeah. Another another unhelpful thing is the blame game. Yeah. The blame game's never served anyone really well. Um, And you can choose to uh, let that go. It doesn't mean you don't feel sad. It doesn't mean you don't feel hurt or resentful. But – acknowledging the hurt, the sadness, or the resentment is going to be better for you than pointing the finger. Because whenever you point the finger, there's three fingers pointing back at you. So you can let go of the victim by allowing yourself to feel the feelings. The victim mentality is an anger, which prevents you getting to the core feelings that are underneath the anger. Anger is always on the top. Underneath that is quite often fear, sadness, hurt, rejection, resentment, And knowing and getting to the underlying feelings is going to serve you much better than blaming. What else have you got on there? I would say, (laughs) this is just based on research, Mm -hmm. avoid drinking lots of alcohol and avoid taking lots of drugs. Yes. Okay. It's so common. It's so well researched now. We know what humans do. Mm-hmm. because well, there's so many of us and it's almost, everything's been researched pretty much. You know, escapist mm-hmm. harmful behaviours, uh, numbing, running, trying to escape, uh, they are very temporary. Yeah, And some people use these very temporary solutions for a really long time when they get lost in the addiction. Yeah. Um, I've been in recovery for a long, long time. I know a lot about uh, alcoholism and drug addiction. Yeah. So I would highly recommend limiting your drug or... Uh, drink intake.
2: Can I can I add a couple to yeah, that as yeah. well? Other numbing behaviors because yeah. people don't recognise what what is a numbing behavior mm.
1: um, quite but... often because it was started so early on. Yeah, and we saw it yeah. in our parents. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, other numbing behaviors are uh, um, watching TV until late in the night um, until just just. Um, you know, letting Netflix play, mm. or YouTube play, or whatever it might be, we're just just passively consuming large amounts of TV, um, playing video games, mm-hmm. compulsive video game playing, um, compulsive shopping,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, and a big one right now for people is gambling. Yeah, um, gambling addiction is is really on the rise as well, um, and all of those things. Oh, and eating as well, either Food. eating too much or not yeah. eating at all. Yep. Um, you know, both of those can be numbing behaviours. So um, really, really paying it. I had that on my list of, of things that I was going to flag if you didn't, but of mm. course you did. Well, and
1: then the other one to add, it was the obvious of sex. Yeah. And regardless of whether we're in lockdown, or lot people who are really, really struggling will find their way to make things happen, whether it's supposed to be isolating or not. Yeah, um, sure. And And knowing, knowing that it's normal, Mm -hmm. that a lot of people do it helps take away some of the shame but
2: Mm -hmm. also
1: knowing that it can be really unhealthy and unhelpful if you get lost into the addictive side of it and and, and you or i are not saying don't play video games don't we're not saying don't watch netflix it's just about being deliberate and choosing things that are helpful to you you will know if it's helpful or not by how much it is interrupting the rest of your day or life
2: yeah indeed and and I mean I know personally that when I if I've been doing something compulsively I simultaneously have a slightly sick feeling while I'm doing it and a right. fear of stopping.
1: Yeah, and quite often with addiction there's a shame and a guilt and mm. remorse afterwards.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and that sort of goes along with both of those things. The sort of sick feeling mm-hmm. is the sort of precursor of that of that guilt and shame and the fear. Is partly a fear of stopping as I'm afraid of feeling the feelings that I'm trying to numb, Mm. but it's also that I can see the guilt and the shame coming and then and i'm a little yeah. bit scared of those right two.
1: yeah and then you're focusing on the secondary feelings and if you're focused on the first feelings that came up with the job loss or redundancy or whatever yeah. you focus on the primary feelings you don't then have to deal with the secondary ones exactly, you're, trying to escape exactly. The first.
2: you're just you're just adding an extra layer of of pain essentially yeah. on for yourself by doing these compulsive numbing behaviors yeah and they're
1: barriers to moving forward
2: They are. They are. Absolutely. Anything else on that list?
1: On my... Oh, isolating was Ah. on my unhelpful. So isolation is the exact opposite to connection. Connection, as we know, is the number one thing that determines health and longevity and makes us feel really rich and alive. So if you're noticing that you are not answering text messages or answering the phone or staying in bed really late and not talking to people, if you want to live differently, something that would be really helpful would flip it and force yourself to connect. And I know it might be uncomfortable, but until you embrace your vulnerability, I think people kind of misunderstand vulnerability a bit because vulnerability Mm. is your ultimate strength when you are having the hardest times. Because when you share your vulnerability with people, it triggers empathy in them. Unless they're a sociopath, so you share your, share your vulnerability, it triggers empathy. And what happens is the the neurological thing that goes on is the um, what is it called? The uh, mirror neurons mm. occur in the other person, and that connection becomes closer and stronger. And that builds the intimacy and connection that we're seeking anyway. So isolating is not gonna not gonna work
2: yeah it builds it builds the trust and it makes them more willing to open up and share their vulnerability too and then you've you've both shared it um and you don't feel so alone with it on either side. so yeah, I think it's really important,
1: yeah, I think those are most of my unhelpful things.
2: Tell us about the helpful things then let's let's well yeah, flip we've, that script.
1: We've, look, we've talked about it a bit uh, yeah fa- feeling the feelings, yeah, you know, feel to heal, yeah um talk about them. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't like doing that, find <laughs> someone that you will do it with. Yeah, And, you know, people say, I'm not a talker. I don't talk. They say, yeah, I don't care. Just do it. Because you, it's like a job of self-care. Yeah, Sometimes when you're really up against it is a game of survival. Yeah. And, yeah, you may not want to do it, but it'd be like saying, no, I'm not going to have chemotherapy. Yeah. You yeah. need to do what you don't want to do to move through things sometimes. Yeah. Um, I've talked about laughing, being social, create Mm -hmm. connections. Um, Something that may be helpful, and this goes back to something we were talking about earlier with the social aspect of work. I developed this for me, and it really helped me. I don't know if it will help anyone else, but I'll just share it anyway. Work colleagues are work colleagues. Mm -hmm. Work colleagues are not friends until one of you has left that job. Yeah. Because what shocked me eight years ago when I lost this job, and people, we, I got along with them. Yeah. One person out of 50 people reached out to me. Yeah. I was horrified. But then I realized I didn't socialize with them outside of work. Yeah. Why should they? Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. They. Absolutely. So th- th- that's something just to have in your head, which is helpful. Is just remember, work colleagues are work colleagues. Yeah. They'll be supportive and there when you're there, but when, you know, you've had half of your team made redundant or job loss or whatever in one hit, mm. there's an immediate sort of support network and working together to stay well with the other people who've lost their jobs. You know, not focusing on all the negatives, like, okay, so what can we do now? How mm-hmm. are you doing? How can yeah. I help you? Yeah. Um being of service to others. Yeah. You know, yeah. doing this podcast with you is a part of my playing, paying forward because I've had some really, really rough times in life, a lot. A lot. So mm. what I do is I give freely and generously because it's in the giving that you receive. You know, I've, I've put things on LinkedIn recently, um, offering some free coaching to the yeah. first three people. The overwhelming response I've had back, just from complete strangers, yeah, has been quite mind-blowing. Yeah. And as a result of that, I got some new clients because they could see that I had the spirit and energy that would work well for them. So giving to receive, totally, one of the best things that you can do.
2: Fantastic. Fantastic. Any other helpful things? Uh,
1: What's there? (laughs) I talked about reframing a situation. Yeah. yeah, um, And taking action. All, lots of those things that we've just been talking about are about taking action. Yeah. Uh, and, and someone said to me when I set up my business, number one rule of business, and you can generalize it, number one rule of moving forward and feeling better about yourself is take action. Yeah. Even if it is just one thing a day. Yes. And if that means it's getting up out of bed at 9 a.m., having breakfast and getting dressed, well, you've achieved something. Yes. Yes. Make your bed. Always make your bed. Yeah. Yep. Don't don't trace the M in your bed. Just do a really good job making it. I yeah. really like it because a tidy home is a happy home.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. I think I I, I think there's a value as well in um, looking after yourself physically because there really isn't a separation between body and mind. And if you can look after no. yourself physically, um, that will affect your your state of mind. Totally. Uh-huh.
1: I didn't realize how important that was until I was helping mum die mm. and I joined a gym again for the first time in 20 years. And mm-hmm. I went to the gym every afternoon while mum had an afternoon nap. And it was two hours of bliss that was just about me looking after myself physically, mentally, well, well you know, looking after my whole. Mm. And my mind was in a different place. Yeah, you know, and it doesn't have to be a gym. It can be a walk. It can be a run. It can be whatever. But the yeah, moving, yeah, physically moving helps yeah, yeah, us process yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely, fantastic. Um, it has been so great talking with you, Patrick. Have we have we reached our uh, our limit of helpful things?
1: I I, I feel like I'm done. I you think you feel I, like you're done. I Good. think I need Excellent. to get back to giraffe breeding.
2: Excellent. Um. So, yeah, it's it's been really, really fantastic having you on the show. I have really enjoyed talking with you this morning. If our listeners want to find you
1: and yeah. get
2: some coaching, where can they find you?
1: You can find me on my website, which is www.thinkingbeyondnow.co.uk. You can find me on Instagram at Patrick Hill Coaching, And you, I'm not very hard to find. Excellent. So
2: thinkingbeyondnow.co.uk. That's me. Awesome. Patrick, it's been a joy. Thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to Squanderlust, the podcast about the emotional side of money with me, Martha Lawton. If you've enjoyed the show, please follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love one of those nice five-star reviews too. Or you can tell a friend about us, maybe somewhere on social media where we're at Squanderlust Pod. You can also find us at squanderlustpod.com where we put show notes, useful links and ways to support the show. Squanderlust is sponsored by Wardour Studios in Fitzrovia, London, with production by David Smith, Alicia Cunningham, Charlie Brandon King and Tom Berry. Our theme music is by Wardour Studios and graphic design by Jason Reed.